it well, but they don't agree about something. Disagreements happen even among genuinely saved people. We know this. Let's imagine the issue was over how to respond to the Roman government mandate to wear masks at church. <laughs> Not to dig up bad memories, <laughs> but you know it's relevant, right? Not, not just a hypothetical example. So one of them, let's say Yodia says we should wear them, and Syntyche says no, we shouldn't. What's the solution? Do we separate? Do we attend different discipleship groups? Do we sign up for uh, different Sundays to minister so that we don't have to be around each other? Uh, is that the way to go? No, they're to agree in the Lord. And that means in the Lord is the most important part. We agree in Him. But what does that mean? Well, two things. The best case scenario, they actually come to agreement. And they see things the same way, and they do the same thing. Um, so they say, yeah, okay, let's, let's, uh, we've, let's weigh the Scriptures together. Let's look at this from all sides. you got Romans 13.1, be subject to the governing authorities. You've got Acts 5.29, where Peter says we must obey God rather than men. And we've got other Scriptures, so let's look at all this stuff and compare that to our situation and think together and pray together and... You know, after what we do this, I think we should do this. I mean, we both agree. That would be great. That would be agreeing in the Lord. Everybody's happy. We move on. But you might not come to agreement. You don't end up in the same place. So what do you do? How do you agree in the Lord there? Well, you decide you will love each other through the disagreement. You will pursue peace. You won't hold your love hostage until they come to the exact same place as you. That would be agreeing in the Lord also. It's the same thing Paul says in Ephesians 4. We are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the starting point. While we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a certain commonality. We all have the same spirit. We're all brought into the same promises of God. We're His people going to the same place. So let's treat each other that way. Let's, let's maintain this unity. We have base level agreement. We're sinners saved by grace. But let's try to attain to the unity of the knowledge also of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's also still point that way, but it might take a while. It might take 10 more years, but we're at least going to be going in that direction. And meanwhile, we're going to try and be at peace with one another. We're going to love each other through these differences and recognize we don't all get the whole picture. And I could be wrong. You could be wrong. We might both be wrong. But let's just go forward together, okay? That's, I think, what it means to agree in the Lord. We're going to stay civil in our discourse, and we're going to keep looking to the Lord as the final arbiter of what truth is and what we should do. And I saw a good example of somebody doing this on YouTube not too long ago. Uh, Gavin Ortland, that's the son of one of the sons of Ray Ortland. He has a YouTube channel called Truth Unites. And on a December episode, he responded to a movie that was defending cessationism, which is the belief that 
some of the gifts of the Spirit, some of the so-called miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And Gavin is a continuationist. He holds to the belief that all the gifts are still relevant and practiced today in their right ways. That's also our position as a church. And he did a really good job of addressing the points made in the movie, making sure he accurately stated their position in their own words. Then he explained what God's Word says, which undermines some of those claims. There was no name-calling, no impugning motives, no exaggeration or provocation, no canceling the opponent. Just the facts and the conclusions. And I was watching it, and I thought, well, you know, I have to teach on this in Ethiopia at the pastor's college in two months, and I want to do it that way. I want to have that spirit. I want there to not be any rancor, not any you know, scoring points and getting my digs in. Just, just present God's Word <laughs> to, as one brother to other brothers without all that other stuff. Let's have healthy discourse. I, I want to be like Gavin in the way I do that. That's, I think, a model for us. You can look it up on YouTube. Truth Unites, Gavin Ortland, and his evaluation of the movie Cessationist. It'd be worth your while, I think. Here's another scenario. It's when someone is accused of a sin. Accused of a sin. I'm thinking here of what you hear about other people, whether that's in the church or in the world. It's common practice. If somebody is accused of something evil, sexual misconduct, domineering leadership, whatever it is, we just assume that it's true, and then that person is dead to us. Then they feel our wrath. Then we send our social media posts out there condemning them. Even if it isn't proven, even if there's no due process, even if all we have is a headline, we can just immediately think, oh, he must have done it. He must have. <clears throat> and then we treat that person as a guilty sinner without really knowing. So if it's an actor, we stop watching their movies. If it's an author, we stop reading their books. If it's a pastor, we stop listening to their sermons. That's cancel culture. That's this rush to judgment and to punishment. But what is the way of the Lord? Well, just a few verses after this passage is what Jesus says about judging. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's Luke 6, 42. There's a place for correction. Jesus doesn't deny it. There's a speck. It's got to come out. But the way you do it and the way you think about it really matters. What's going on in your heart is the most important place to start. Think about the log that's in your eye. Think about your own sin. Think about the fact you could do the same thing you're about to correct this other guy for. And come more humbly and remember that you've been forgiven much so that when you go, it's just a speck and not the log that you're trying to make it out to be. And you come with the, with the intention of restoring and not just piling on. I want to remove that speck because I want you to see better. I want you to experience more life. Totally different than just getting on Facebook and firing off that truth bomb, you know. Boom, I gotcha. Now it's way different. There's, a, there's an attitude behind it. There's a place for correction, but your heart matters. I would add this from Isaiah 11, 2 through 4. This is a description of Jesus and how he judged. It says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, 
but with righteousness he shall judge. How often do we jump to conclusions about somebody just based on what we heard or what we saw? If the conclusion is guilty, we start to treat that person as if they really are guilty, even though we may be wrong, and they wonder, why is it that you're treating me differently all of a sudden? You know, they don't even know that you heard something or you saw something, and you didn't even come to them, but already in your mind, it's done, it's happened, you did it, and I'm going to treat you a certain way. That's just judging by what your eyes see or your ears hear. Let's use an example. Let's say that somebody was out in the street and they're, on the, and they're on the curb and they're injured, and you see a car speeding away, what are you immediately going to think? Hit and run. And you're like already mad at that person who's driving. But what if the person who's driving is an off-duty police officer and he's going after the guy who actually did hit and run? You'd think differently all of a sudden, right? We can't just trust what our eyes see and our ears hear. We have to wait. We have to collect facts. We have to discern through God's Word. Am I seeing this right? Am I not? I'm getting counsel. Should I say anything? Whatever. We have to do it righteously under God's authority and not just go off by our first inclinations. Cancel culture tells you to pounce. The Spirit says, judge with righteousness. Here's another scenario in which we're tempted to cancel somebody. It's when someone is caught in a sin. Like, it's the real deal. It's, it's undeniable. It's happened. What do we do about that? I'm not talking about the ch- process of church discipline here, which kicks in when there's a serious unrepentant sin that affects the integrity of the body if it's not addressed. So I'm talking more about the day-to-day failures that bubble up out of our hearts as we walk through this fallen world. Things like a cringe post that you put on you know, social media. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, or if you're or viewing porn or irresponsible behavior or so many other things, right? It's happened. It's a, we're aware what do you do about it when you become aware? Well, if it's cancel culture that you're going to do, you're just going to condemn them. How dare you? How could you? As if I could never do that. But how, how dare you? Like, and you just pile on and just make them feel even worse about it and feel condemned in a self-righteous way. But that's not what Jesus tells us to do. That's not what the Scriptures say. We have guidance on what to do. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Again, there's this humility when we're approaching anybody else in sin. Keep watch. You could do this. You may have done this. You may even be doing this right now. Come with a spirit of gentleness. Come to restore him. Don't just pile on and walk away. Stay in there with it. Help them move towards Christ-likeness and be free from this sin. I'm on the regular end receiving this from Mary. (laughs) She probably won't think that she corrects me in the spirit of gentleness, but when I think of what she could say, you know, when I get complaining... (laughs) When I'm selfish, when I'm shirking responsibility, uh, whatever, um, there are a lot of things she could say in that moment. (laughs) Sometimes she just lets it go. Sometimes she'll bring it up because you can't just let it go. 
but it's usually spot on, and I get it freely, and that's one how, that's one way she loves me. One of the things about marriage is you get two sinners who live next to each other really close, and you can see everything that's going on. <laughs> And you can't get away from it, so you have to have a way to restore. <laughs> Otherwise, you go crazy. While we're talking about family, let me mention a special case in which we might pull away and withdraw from someone who's caught in a sin. It's when you have an adult child who goes astray. They may leave the faith. They may leave the home. They may take a direction in life that you don't agree with. And you might be tempted in that moment to just sort of let them go and forget about it and not really want to be around them anymore. Um, it could be out of grief or just sadness. Um, it could be out of a personal offense. You know, I... I taught you better than this. I poured my life into you, and this is what you do. It could be because you just don't know how to act around them anymore, but somehow you, you maintain a relational distance. <clears throat> that fits with cancel culture, but not with the ethics of our Father in heaven. And I think the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is instructive here. What did the father do when his son returned home? bankrupt and ashamed. It says, while he, the prodigal son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's very careful to say that he was a long way off. The father didn't know whether he was coming back repentant or asking for more money. He just saw him, and he ran to embrace him, and he had compassion. And the Father, God the Father, is the one who's, whose heart is being exposed there in that parable. That's what he's like. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The takeaway, I think, is for parents with prodigal sons and daughters, we need to keep our hearts warm and our welcome mat out. Maybe you need to have some boundaries and take some steps towards reconciliation and so forth, but we don't cancel wayward children and shun them and punish them for withhold, by withholding relationship from them. We keep our hearts warm and we make sure that they know we want to be in their life. And that keeps the door open for prodigals to come home and potentially to come home to the Lord, which is God's heart for them and for us. Here's the last scenario. We can be tempted to cancel others. It's when someone cancels you. <clears throat> How do we handle it when we're unfairly judged? When we're avoided, when we're condemned by others? It's likely to happen. Sometime it's likely to happen if you are an open Christian in a secular world. <laughs> You are going to be shunned at some point, ostracized, canceled. What do we do when that happens? Well, Isaiah 53 says of the suffering servant, Jesus, he knows what it's like to be canceled. He was cut off out of the land of the living. 
He was despised and rejected by man, and we esteemed him not. He was canceled in the most extreme way possible, mocked and beaten and called a blasphemer and crucified between two thieves, died bearing the punishment of sins that he did not commit. But what did he do? As he was heading to the cross to die that way, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When you're reviled unjustly, when you're canceled by someone, if you're shunned as a believer in Christ, there's one, there is one you can look to who is going to set everything right. You don't have to get your revenge. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to win the argument. Because God is going to. God is looking out for you. God has you on a path towards glory, and you will have a great inheritance that He is preserving for you forever, and nobody can take it from you. And that gives you the ability to say, okay, I don't have to keep what you took from me. I don't have to demand it back. I have a better inheritance. I have a God who's going to put everything right. That's a, that's, that's a safety net for us, for our hearts. <laughs> to know that that's going to happen. The judge of the whole earth will surely do what is right. No sin will go unpunished. It is either punished in the person who's unrepentant or it will be punished on Jesus Christ who bore it for you. But nobody gets away with anything. We live in a world where God is going to vindicate us. So people can cancel you, but you can trust God to make everything right in the end. And that's why we can love our enemies. I'll close with this. Cancel culture's in the air. We all know it. But Jesus shows us a better way. So let's do something that's counter-cancel culture. <laughs> let's love one another through differences, through disappointments, through unmet expectations, and even through our sins. And it can be done because that's a beautiful fruit of the gospel, remembering God did not cancel us, but He sent His Son not to condemn us, but to save us. To go back to the quote by Kelly Capek, let's pursue a community that is not a tribal pack that holds together only to the extent that each member keeps up their contribution. <laughs> let's have a, an environment in which we're not afraid that we're about to be canceled because I said this, I did that, I made that mistake, but what we expect is I'm going to be loved, I'm going to have a speck removed, <laughs> but that's good for me. But I know I'm going to be loved and not canceled. Let's build that here as a discernible fruit of knowing and trusting Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's something beautiful for us to experience and to bring other people into. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that you, Your way is so beautiful. Um, yes, you, you could condemn us. You could withdraw from us. But you don't do that, and because of that, we have hope, we have a future, we have the Spirit, we have promises. And I ask that you would form that more and more in us, make us more and more like sons of the Most High, and like our Father in Heaven who is merciful. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.